As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. New VanCast to take you into the weekend, Drancer. And remember a week ago when the Canucks had the blackout media policy and we weren't allowed in the building? I found myself. Yes. Yeah, I, I found myself <laughs> wishing that somebody was going to come around last night and tell us that we all had to leave somewhere through the second period because. Uh, uh, after the fun of getting back to the rink and the storylines uh, that came out of the two victories over the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, not nearly, not nearly the entertainment product from the Vancouver Canucks in their 3 nothing loss to the Ottawa Senators on Thursday night. No, and yet I thought they played well, right? Like, the thing about, the thing about, I mean, you know me, J-Pat, right? Like, I'm always pushing back against this idea that, you know, we should read too much into a win or read too little into a loss. And now that's taken on this new dimension for me, which is this human dimension of like, they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple times behind outrageous goaltending performances from Braden Holpe. And it's like, gutsy win, feel good story, you know? Yep. And for me, it's a bunch of guys out there having just recovered from a significant outbreak, like working their tails off. And so I'm not I'm not about to be like, man, the Leafs really controlled play there. You know, I'm not going to evaluate the game like that. I'm going to say, hey, the defensive work rate was there. Really impressive considering what they've been through. Then last night they go out and they were the Leafs. They were the Leafs and the Sens were the Canucks. <laughs> like they had the better game. But Matt Murray was outrageously good and the Senators win 3 nothing. And for me, there's nothing less gutsy. Nothing less praiseworthy about what the Canucks sort of put together in, in terms of an effort, in terms of, you know, finding energy reserves after all they've been through, despite the fact that, as Demko said post-game, a post-game interview in which he seemed pretty out of breath throughout, you know, COVID took a toll on us, was the direct quote. 
uh, for me, you know, it's not about the playoff race. It's about how these guys have gone through an outbreak that infected, you know, 21 of 22 of their teammates, three coaches. They're still working their way back. There's still a player in Tyler Mott out of the lineup due to for, for COVID related reasons. Newell Brown just returned. And like they're they're managing at the very least what cannot be disputed. They're managing despite that a baseline competitive effort, you know, in an NHL environment, in a competitive NHL environment. For me, that's praiseworthy, even though, you know, that loss like dented their playoff odds significantly, right? Yeah, and look, you go sort of the last forty-eight hours from the last time we recorded a podcast. It was also simple. It was Edmonton was going to beat Montreal. The Canucks were going to get the first of four straight against the lowly Sands, and look out, the Canucks are going to be six back with four in hand. Now they're ten back. I mean, that's pro sports, right? That's how quickly it turns. Montreal, yep. credit to them. They got into Edmonton and they got the job done. And I, I guess I would push back a little bit on your assertion that, you know, the Canucks were were good on Thursday night. I, I think the effort level was there. I, I'm not going to suggest that anybody was dogging it or that they weren't trying. I just, it was a really low event game. Like when you talk about Matt Murray, uh, anytime any guy gets an NHL shutout, full credit to him. I just didn't think the Canucks tested him. Like when I look back at my, the notes that I keep as a game goes along, like, I, I just don't have many scoring chances. Bo Horvath had an opportunity from the bumper in, you know, on one of the yeah. power plays. Uh, Jace Howerluck racing down the right wing um, in Late, the third yeah. period. And and it's funny because that was a play that you and I both talked about, and, and we were focused on Howerluck. And originally we thought it was Ulevi that had made the, the quick pass up ice. And then we were like, nah, that, that was Hughes. And then I saw Wyatt had, <laughs> Wyatt had it in the armies, and no, sure enough, it was uh, it was Yulevi. So yeah, uh, nice it, pass. It was it was a nice pass, but but uh, you know that kind of underscores the point here that you know we're picking at a nice breakout pass and one power play opportunity. I didn't think totally. the Canucks had a ton of sustained chances. Uh, the power play looked disjointed. Travis Green was asked about it, and he said, "Oh, we've practiced it enough." I do wonder though, like you know, the, the Senators scored. There are two goals in the run of play, both on their power plays. Yeah. Canucks ran. And then an empty netter. And then an empty netter. Toronto scored a couple of power play goals and a shorthanded goal. Like the Canucks have given up two even strength goals in three games. So five on five, they have, they've been fine coming out of this COVID break. But I I wonder about the penalty kill. Uh, You know, Edler's a big part of it. He wasn't uh, in the lineup last night. And I wonder how much practice time they have put in because we didn't get to see the practices and then they haven't had practices once they got back to game action and remember early in the season that was all the storyline was that not enough practice time that's where things were spiraling out of control I'm not saying they're spiraling out of control in the Canucks here but but in Thursday night's game uh, the Senators scored a couple of power play goals in the first period and I just wonder how much the Canucks have been able to attack their penalty kill early on because the Leafs scored twice and now Ottawa scored twice. So the penalty kill, uh, as it was early, early in the season, uh, penalty kill hasn't really uh, kind of been at the standards that they wanted here coming out of the COVID break. No, and and that makes sense to me that, you know, that that phase of the game, uh, a little bit more intricate, right? A little bit more influenced by tactics and systems, typically speaking, you know, would be... Uh, the area where it took them a little bit longer to sort of find some rhythm, but you know, so that I'm um, look, that makes sense to me, I think. And I think that was at play or it has been at play in their first three games. But I also think we're about to get into, and and probably not on Saturday, but thereafter we're, we're going to get into 
where the grind of the schedule and the rigors of, you know, condensed volume and three and fours and five and sevens really start to have a massive impact on what this club looks like. And, you know, that's that's always why the sort of playoff excitement, and I know I wrote about it, but I did qualify it and couch it that like, hey, look, <laughs> like <laughs> this is going to be really brutal once they get into May. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to happen and this team will, um, you know, finish well out. Uh, that's the that's sort of the bet they made very early in the season. It's not a reflection of how they perform from here on out. Uh, and that's sort of what's illustrated, too, by, you know, this like small pathway was illuminated as a result of what Montreal had done while the Canucks had their layoff and Calgary had done while the Canucks had their layoff as both teams just lost and lost and lost and left the door open a little bit. And, you know, one loss from the Canucks and all of a sudden the math again looks grim, right? Like looks really, really difficult. That's what that's exactly what no margin for error is. That's where the Canucks are. And, you know, that sort of leaves us in a position and a really weird one, like one that I'm trying to work through because J-Pat, like we're sitting there watching this game last night and the Canucks, you know, they tried to fatten out their forward lines and they just didn't like nothing other than the Miller Horvat, you know, nothing other than their top players were really going right. And so then they load up because they just need something. And, you know, what that leaves us is this sort of from the seas of Granlin to the plains of Highmore lineup, right? Lines two through four. And I'm sitting there trying to evaluate these guys, not really knowing in all cases what they've been through or who was really sick or how they're feeling and unable to check in post game if there's a guy I wasn't sure about. And, you know, like what what are we going to even be able to take? from this evaluative environment over the balance, right? Like the Canucks are clearly holding some auditions in terms of guys that might be, you know, third or fourth line pieces next season, guys like Matthew Highmore. And I just, I just don't know what we can read into it at all. Considering the relative fitness on this, on these, on this line in this lineup, um, you know, and, and, and what they're going to be facing down the stretch here. So it's like a really tough thing. It's like, you'd like to be like, and this matters for next year, but I'm just not sure it does. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to take much of anything from this 17 or 18 games. I don't think the team should be taking too much of anything in terms of player performance from these games. Certainly they shouldn't be changing their minds on anybody. And that just sort of leaves us with this, you know, sort of, mushy outlook where you know the Canucks are unlikely extremely unlikely to make the playoffs these games are unlikely to matter into May and it's going to be really tough for us to even extrapolate from these games and say hey this is a really good sign for next year right like it's just a weird weird environment and and underscores the fact that you know there's no point and in fact, it might be harmful to filter the COVID outbreak that the team went through, through that like classic prism of, of adversity in hockey, <laughs> right? Like there is no team level outbreak that also infects families that is like a rallying point. Like what, you know, playing hockey in a country that's experiencing a significant third wave because of, you know, lax public health policies or guidelines and slow vaccination rate became really dangerous in midseason. The Canucks bore the brunt of it. 
It's horrendously unfair. And now, and now a team that was probably unlikely to make the playoffs anyway is, is going to play out the string just with less healthy bodies. And, you know, the focus for me should be on that. And, you know, the, those sort of business factors that have led us here, as opposed to, you know, it, sort of indicting a team um, for, you know, failures that really came in January and February. I want to pick up on the bottom six here in a sec because I got a couple of thoughts that I want mm-hmm. to throw at you. But Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Officiating was strange. I'm not one that generally gets bogged down, but it was just an odd night. And it started early with uh, the Hamannick game misconduct that wasn't a game misconduct. And then he returned and was able to play out the rest of the hockey game. And I'm sure Tyler Myers was glad about that because Myers was up over 10 minutes in the first period alone. And we already seen him play a 30-minute game uh, when Alex Edler got thrown out the other night against the Maple Leafs. So uh, Travis Hamannick came back. But but that was one of my takeaways from the hockey game on Thursday. Tom was uh, clearly... And he's only been in the lineup twice, but the Vancouver Canucks have Matthew Highmore's back. It wasn't just Travis Hamannick, but then in the second period, Jake Vertanen. And I had to laugh when you leaned over and you're like, don't touch our Highmore. Like that seemed, <laughs> that was the, the, the theme. I of think it the- wasn't my, wasn't my line. <laughs> um, protect our stars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's a good thing that Highmore is in the middle of things, but I mean, he was on the receiving end of a pretty hard hit by by Brady Kachuk early on, and that's when Hamannick stepped up, and then Vertanen uh, got into it with uh, Josh Brown, I guess it was, uh, who got his money's worth yep. of a, a cross check there. Um, but uh, Josh Brown's a big boy. Yes, I mean, Josh. Josh Brown's going to get his money's worth with whatever he throws. <laughs> that is a a large gentleman. Um, yeah, I mean. The officiating in the first was brutal, just just abysmal. I, I I was just shocked by it, and to miss the Sutter trip, like there were two trips that were missed that would have benefited the Canucks. Instead, everything went the Senators' way, which just makes the fact that they completely bungled, and and whether or not it was the off ice or the on ice, the officials to some extent bungled the Hamannick. You know, he should have had a ten minute misconduct if he was assessed an instigator. I even thought the instigator was a little harsh there. I guess it was it was obvious, but I mean, you see that sort of be a 50-50 judgment call all the time. Maybe Hamannick just should have sold it a little better, like waited a minute, asked Kachuk, right. shaked his gloves. But, you know, I thought, the, I thought the instigator was iffy anyway. But then to get the 10-minute misconduct wrong, like the rules are very straightforward. It's a 10-minute, it's 10-minute misconduct. No, it's not a game, game misconduct. 
um, for unless you start a second fight, which Hamannick clearly hadn't done that early in the first period. So yeah, no, I mean, um, stinky. Like it was, it was bad officiating in that first period, really bad, and it just happened to all benefit the the Senators. Um, you know, which which just adds to the poor optics. But yeah, I mean, look, the officiating in the North has been weird all season, and this is this is a, sort of an undertold story, right? Like. There's been a small group of referees that have done all the Canadian games, whereas the American games are being refereed by a wider pool of officials who are functioning more or less like normal. Because obviously you can't cross the border without quarantines, right? So, you know, you don't have referees going from Canada to the U.S. You have a small group of Canadian referees officiating just the Canadian games. And, you know, you watch across the North Division, like the games feel different in terms of pace and penalties than the games in the States. And, you know, I think that's natural when you are getting to know these single singular officials to that extent, right? Like, it's going to change how the games are called, and I think it has materially changed how the games are called, uh, which is a shame. I tweeted it out, and I truly believe this, that if Mark Michaelis is only going to get six shifts and one each in the final two periods, then it is time to to look at Cole Lind or somebody else. I mean, at some point, Tyler Mott will get back in. I know you asked Travis Green post-game. Uh, and it is still COVID-related, which is concerning, obviously, when the rest of the team yeah. is back and has played three games and and Mott still uh, isn't available to the Vancouver Canucks. So you hope the best for him, uh, and he's not going to get the green light until he's uh, completely ready to go. But, yeah, and look, this is not any kind of dig at Mark Michaelis. Like, in a normal world, he would have come out of college and he would have spent his first year playing pro hockey in the minors. And... Mm-hmm. You know, he was fine at training camp to the point that I think the Canucks worried a little bit about their depth down the middle and and he stuck around on the taxi squad. But, you know, the longer it's gone on here, you know, I don't think that he has emerged as any sort of legitimate prospect that, you know, they can't live without. And I'm not writing him off in terms of having an NHL career. I'm just saying uh, if you're only going to use him for six shifts and he's going to get three minutes, then... Uh, you know, you can live without him and you can look at somebody else. And we've talked about Zach McEwen uh, and the fact he hasn't played here yet uh, since the return from COVID. You've got Cole Lind up. Like, this just feels like an opportunity to give Cole Lind, an op- to give Cole Lind a look at the very least. I'll be really disappointed if they've got Lind here in Vancouver and he doesn't get a look from the organization. Oh, I'm, and I'm sure he will get a look from the organization, right? Uh, he has to. I mean, he has to. Uh, especially with, you know, what he's been through with the quarantines and getting here. But also, you know, if you're getting Pedersen back, if you're getting Mott back at some point, like the time might be now, right, to get him in. That said, if you still think, you know, you still have a 1 in 10 playoff shot now, maybe you want to give your sort of older guys, the guys you know a little bit better, um, a chance to ride that out before you end up sort of plugging in your Rathbones and your Lins and your younger players as things go along here, right? So... I mean, I can see both sides, but I agree with you. It would be like for guys like Lind and and Rathbone, you know, as much as I've said, I'm not going to read a ton into this evaluative environment. Like those are two guys who, as far as we know, didn't test positive and might be really, you know, not might. I mean, those those guys, if they can play next year, uh, especially considering you have an expansion decision to make up front, right? And, And Lind would be one of the main candidates to be protected like you kind of need to see what you've got um and and getting them those games in a relatively low intensity environment versus games that really matter in terms of shaping your playoff chances next season and may have fans in the building 
Um, you know, that to me is a no brainer. You have to do it. You have to do it. You have to find a way. And, um, and you know, they'll have to do that over the next few weeks though, though again, like, fuck again, you get into the, will this coaching staff do it considering every point they can earn matters to them when they're, you know, building their resumes in the event that the Canucks don't re-sign them and they only have what? 27 days left yeah. in terms of yeah. games played before they're free agents, right? Like, and I mean, uh, granted contracts extend to the end of June, but like, you know, that's a consideration too. And one where the organization has once again sort of failed to put themselves in an optimal position to, you know, uh, have to align the incentives, the long-term incentives of the club with the long-term incentive or with the short-term incentives of key decision makers during the stretch and that creates its own weird dynamic, which has you know been present, obvious at the forefront throughout this season. I thought uh, a couple of things post game and during his uh, after the morning skate, the the morning media availability. Uh, a couple of interesting mm. comments from Travis Green. Uh, I can't recall. I know that <laughs> you floated the the notion of energy, and I think he thought you were coming from the completely opposite direction, and then you guys found your common ground, and he he answered the question. Uh, I'm not sure was that the same <laughs> response though. Where, like, he didn't name names, but he said, like, I need more from guys lower in the lineup. And and when he put Miller, Horvat, and Besser together, you know, that's him kind of saying, like, this is all I got. Like, I'm going with these guys, putting all my eggs in that offensive basket, and, you know, I'll worry about the rest as we go along here. But then post-game, again, he didn't single anybody out, but it was pretty clear that uh, he didn't like necessarily what he saw top to bottom. Uh, from the forward Well, group. how could you have? Like, how could you have, right? Like, right? But that's where it comes back to this difficult sort of, you know, you don't, don't. don't want to carve them, but at the same time, he is trying to win hockey games, and he's not going to win unless he gets better performances from these guys that have just been through the absolute ringer. So uh, it is a little bit of a, a vicious circle in that regard. I, I thought there was a really sort of, like, you know, I want all the information, obviously, as a media guy, and, and I know that I'm not going to get all the information, but I, I, I really liked his answer when he was asked about Thatcher Demko getting the start yesterday after the morning skate. And he gave a what I thought was like just a masterclass answer that really brought us inside the locker room and gave us some clarity on the decision-making. And that, like, I, when I woke up yesterday morning, I figured, ah, Demko hasn't had a full practice yet. Hope he's played so well. It's going to be Holtby. It's got to be Holtby. Like, I, I, in my mind, I mm -hmm. figured it was almost a no-brainer. And then they go with Demko, and that's fine. They didn't lose because of Thatcher Demko, although, uh, he, no. you know, he didn't look. And then he said afterwards that he wasn't feeling fully 100%. But I, I just thought Travis's explanation of why Demko and not Holtby, and when he went into, like, you know, man, it's taken a lot out of these guys these first two games, and, you know, Holtby's one of them, and sort of the wear and tear and the fatigue of these two 60-minute performances where he had to literally stand on his head on Sunday to make that <laughs> Wayne Simmons save. You know, and yep. I just thought, good on Travis. Like, that's a great explanation. I walked away from that thinking, like, yeah, this makes perfect sense then that now's the time yep. you would turn to Demko to give Braden Holtby a rest. Totally. And, and I, you know, I, this... Stretch run calls for a little bit more of that, right? And to this point, I think we've gotten a lot more of it than we typically do from Travis Green, right? Travis Green has not been playoff mode. Travis Green hide everything. You know, I think he's been pretty clear uh, where he can be anyway regarding player statuses and when it's COVID related and, you know, 
managing energy, like his his answer on managing en- energy levels too, right? Like performance will dictate some of it, but yeah, energy levels is going to dictate some of it too. But I obviously can't give Miller and Horvat nights off either. So you know, I think there's been, I think it's been a. I think he's struck the right chord to this point in terms of being clear when he can and and sticking to the hockey when he can. Um, you know, I don't have a sense of when it's coming, right? Like I asked that energy question, and I think he got a little bit defensive at first, and then I was like, no, man, I'm I'm coming at this from the opposite <laughs> angle because I, you know, like I said to start this pod, right? Like I don't think that results should be dictating our praise for. Uh, you know, for me, if your team shows up and gives an honest NHL level effort, that's praiseworthy, regardless of the result at this juncture. Um, I didn't say all that, of course. I was just like, yeah, just tell me what you think about it, Travis. I, I'm implying the opposite. But the, though, you know, his answer there was like, I need more from guys. I didn't expect that necessarily, right? On the other hand, when I asked about the energy levels question, I expected him to poo-poo that, and he admitted that no, like that's going to be a factor too. In roster construction. So it's clearly a fine line between coaching to win as you usually would and coaching to, you know, not not protect your guys, but certainly put them in a position to have the type of energy that this club's going to need just to put in a credible level NHL performance here. Yeah, so we'll see if... And again, not fully knowing the health of guys like Mott and McEwen and... and Lynn's readiness like I, I don't know what his options are like it'll be interesting to see um, you know what kind of lineup changes the Canucks get for Saturday in the rematch against the Senators before they head out on the road Alex Edler would draw back in so you would think that you know that'll have some impact on the on the back well, end Chatfield Chatfield only played 10 minutes right yeah played nine minutes so yeah. I mean I, I think you know Edler comes in um, Schmidt moves over to the right That's side right. and then you've got Yolevi Myers but if you like Yolevi played okay um, he had that one good stretch pass to Howerlock. You know, I, I liked some of the physical elements of his game. Um, he's he he was one of the three guys who was out the longest, right? So I, again, I don't want to evaluate a player that I've tended to be very critical of too harshly. But you know, how do you get Rathbone in if Yolevi continues to play well, right? Uh, that's sort of one of the questions too that that you have to weigh, um, you know, down the stretch because you do have to get Rathbone in. For me, you have to get Rathbone in and get him into five games or so. So, you know, the the way that this is going to go is going to be a very difficult balancing act from Travis's perspective, for sure. Yeah, and Rathbone was recalled to Vancouver uh, a week ago. So he has served or is into the final day, I would imagine, of his quarantine. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not an option for Saturday, but he can start practicing at the very least and skating. The Canucks are going to have a, a limited practice group on the ice on Friday. And and maybe we'll pick up some clues uh, in terms of lineup uh, based on who's skating and, and who Travis Green wanted to rest up and, and take the day uh, away from from the ice surface. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, 40 games in now 
for the Vancouver Canucks. So 40 down, 16 to go if, in fact, they do play all of them. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, Sirloin-a-Lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And to drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. You know, we've had this season-long stakes bet that uh, we've checked in on from time to time. Maybe not uh, the best time to do it after they get shut out because uh, no change there. But there were a couple of things I wanted to bring up about uh, our bet as we sort of just look back at, at things. I had somebody point out to me, Tom, that the longer EP40 is out of the lineup, the greater the chance that Brandon Sutter is going to pass him yet again in total goals scored this season. So mm. the drama uh, that mm. exists over these 16 games, Brandon Sutter with his two the other night, including the empty netter, uh, he's up to eight now on the season. And news of the day on Thursday was that Antoine Roussel is going to be out uh, for at least a couple of weeks, and we'll see at this stage with 16 games to go, you know, right. if he can heal up, what his role is in all of this. And Antoine Roussel, of course, is stuck on one goal. And I was thinking to myself, like, when we did these projections back in January, like, if with a straight face, I had told you, I think Antoine Roussel is going to score one goal this season. One goal! I, I would have said low, but not, like, very low. No, you picked him for six. I had him at eight. Yeah. Like he, you know, he started the season as a third-line winger in the National Hockey League. Uh, you're right. Like, I don't think either one of them had great expectations in a condensed season, but still, one like if he doesn't come back or if he only gets back for a couple of games, you know, there's a pretty good chance he's going to finish the stat line. His stat yeah. line to finish the season will show him with one goal. Crazy. Crazy, man. And, well, and hasn't played well either, right? Like, that's... Uh, you you know Antoine Roussel with the knees and and you know everything he's been through. Um, just he was a really really valuable two way piece for, in his first Canuck season, uh, and he's just it just the the further away we get from that, the less evidence or reason there is to believe that he's going to turn it around at, at this point with one year remaining on his contract, which you know you just hate to see from a guy who, uh, first of all. Uh, great to work with from a media perspective, but secondly, you know, was was a heart and soul, like really effective, quietly effective bottom six forward for so long, and and really charted an NHL career out of nothing, out of a out of a Penticton training camp invite, right? Yeah. Um. You know, so it's uh, uh tough to tough to sort of see what's happened there, especially with the role that injuries have pretty clearly played in his diminishing foot speed. Yeah, and I was of the opinion that coming out of the COVID break and thinking that really the the 19 games that they had remaining weren't going to matter much, and, and it's going to look again like that's probably going to be the case. I, I just didn't think Roussel had to be an every-night guy uh, for the Canucks because there are other players that you do have to get a look at, whether you see this as a, a legitimate audition period or not. Uh, I wasn't wishing an injury on him. He got tangled up with Mitch Marner there in the neutral zone, and you could tell he was in some distress as he made his way to the bench. It yep. uh, looked like a, a right knee or a right leg, certainly. And, of course, that was the knee that he had surgically repaired a couple of seasons back. So you hope for the best. He's a good guy, certainly. Uh, whether he is a good player at this stage of his career, that's uh, open to debate. And where it goes from here uh, for Antoine Roussel as a member of the Vancouver Canucks, I, I guess that's yet to be determined. One thing that yeah, we, hey, hey, yeah. let's let's quickly note uh, let's quickly note a thing I'm tracking is that was the first game that the Canucks played since returning from COVID without a without an injury, right? Roussel and Hyman had gotten injured in their first two games. No, no apparent uh, injuries coming out of that game yesterday. 
Um, I take that as a big positive. Like that, that matters a lot to me. I'm, I'm really concerned down the stretch about whether or not guys are at risk in terms of soft tissue injuries, in terms of various ailments that might be fatigue related, which for me, as everyone knows, I think the Hyman injury was. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, fact that there were no apparent injuries coming out of that Ottawa game, to me, that's worth tracking. That's a good sign. Hopefully we see more of that as the Canucks conclude their season. Yeah, Bogosian too, although that wasn't COVID-related or anything else. That was just a weird no, play No, that was night. just bad luck. Awful. Yeah. Uh, I hate to see it. Yeah, no, and it was scary. And and if it's a sh- like that had the potential to be way worse, so you hope that uh, it's going to be a shorter-term thing. I just, uh, it makes your stomach churn anytime you see guys crash into the boards at speed. Oh, for sure. You know, from four feet out or whatever, that, that sort of danger zone. Yeah. So. yeah, didn't like that one. Uh, I want to finish up with this because this is important to – the two of us, but I think it's probably important to, you know, our, a lot of our listeners as well, uh, because they were big botch fans. And, and this was a big week because we were finally able to announce the names of the three Botchford Project candidates for this COVID shortened season. And without getting into great details, like it's been a battle just to get to this point when, and the three week COVID layoff certainly, you know, added. Uh, another layer to all of this and, and just uncertainty when we didn't know what the schedule was going to look like and whether this was going to be something that could happen. But uh, we were able to release the names. Cat Botchford made the selections. And so, you know, I've reached out to all of them, but I just want to congratulate Lachlan, Clarissa, and Arash. They're the three Botchford project candidates for this year. Looking forward to working with all three of them and sort of the big twist in this year uh, with the time crunch and everything else is we're bringing all three in on the same night where last year, every candidate got their own night and we were able mm-hmm. sort of to devote, you know, our attention to that person and make the experience uh, what it was. We're just running out of home games. Like after yeah. Saturday, the Canucks have four home games. And quite frankly, the final two against Calgary are still in that TBD. There was a thought that those games may never happen at all. I still think they may never happen at all. So it narrowed it down to, there's back-to-back games against the Edmonton Oilers, and because the Botchford Project, the whole idea was, you know, a day in the shoes of Jason Botchford, and that meant coming to a morning skate. Well, back-to-back games, there's a pretty good chance there won't be a morning skate or at least a full morning skate on the second yeah. of the game. So really, it narrowed it down to, it made the, the choice pretty easy that Monday, May the 3rd is going to be the Botchford Project night at Rogers Arena. Uh, you and I will be there to work with uh, these finalists and and you know, hopefully help them craft uh, stories that they're happy with that then will get posted at Canucks.com. And so, you know, part of this business and part of the challenges with COVID, you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be able to to pivot and, and roll with the punches. And so this is a real life lesson for these three, certainly. But, you know, if nothing else, Tom, if nothing else, yep. they get to come to the rink and watch hockey live, which very few people have the opportunity to do this season. And oh yeah, they get to see McDavid and Dreisaitl on that night. So not too bad, not no. too bad. No, and uh, w- congratulations to the three super worthy people that were selected. Like I'm really excited to work with Clarissa Lachlan and Rash. Uh, you know, I- I've admired their their work, their gumption from afar, their tweets from afar. Um, you know, I think those were excellent selections, of course, by Cat, and uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So you know, it's not. It's not normal. It's not exactly like the experience the other sort of Botchford Project winners got, but or fellows got. But 
I'm really excited. I'm really excited that we were able to, you know, and the Canucks PR was committed to navigating the unprecedented challenges of this season, which kept mounting as we went along uh, to make this happen. I think, I think it's still going to be a really great project and they're still going to do some really great work and I'm excited to work with them. Yeah, and I was really, really excited by the response to the selections. Uh, the Canucks Twitter, you know, Canucks Twitter can, <laughs> we know it can be a, a deep, dark place, but it seemed universal in its praise and support of these three. And so I passed that along to Kat Botchford, and she was really excited that uh, it seemed like she hit on three really worthy candidates. So looking forward to being the third. <laughs> that, she'd, that she'd brought us together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, on a on a banner week, Canucks yeah. Twitter united in one thing. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think she's going that far. See. I don't think she's bucking up to, <laughs> to fly a plane to congratulate them. But uh, no, I, I keep her posted. I said I'd send some pics uh, from the night that we get them into the rink. So uh, just over a week from now when the Canucks get back off this upcoming road trip. Uh, speaking of upcoming, uh, shameless promotion here too. Uh, join Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian for the Athletic Hockey Show Monday at The Athletic. I hear they have secured two really, really good and engaging guests for this uh, upcoming episode. Oh, really? I thought it was us. <laughs> oh, I, thought, right. I thought they just secured you and I. Oh, I, was, I was excited about our appearance. Oh yeah, no, I'm excited about our appearance too. It's a great opportunity for us. I'm just, you know, we're great and engaging. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I want to set low expectations, JPAT, so that we can easily leap over them. I don't want to be uh, going in there with people expecting great and engaging. Um, you know, that's just that's hard. That's hard to do these days, man. It's hard. I'm tired of living in a city with low expectations. Come on. <laughs> Fair enough. You're right. We must we must hold ourselves to the standard with which we judge the team. Um, yeah, the the plains of Highmore coming to the NHL, but the Athletics NHL show on Monday. Don't miss it. No, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love Ian. I love Haley. I think we should debate which rebuild is further along. Montreal, or sorry, Ottawa's or Vancouver's, because I I think it's closer than a lot of people in this market would like to admit. Well, and just to that point, and. Like, I tried to make this point, but not very well on the last pod, and you kind of shot me down that the Sens are the last place team. With the result on Thursday night, in their, last, point. in their last 32 games, the Canucks and the Senators have identical records. So, you know, I'm taking out Ottawa's brutal start. They had two wins in their first 15 games. We know that February was a bit of a write-off for the Canucks. And so the 32 games, because of the COVID break, they don't time out. They don't match up on timing necessarily. But the last 32 games that these two teams have played this season, they have identical 15, 13, and 3 records. So uh, that doesn't quite add up, though. 15, 14, and 3. There you go. My math is... Right. Uh, yeah. So, so all I'm saying, like, that's why... You know, like I heard a lot of people, and I, I was probably guilty of falling into the trap too, that, you know, four straight against the Senators, man, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity. But we've seen, like, the Sens are plucky. And, and you saw it again last night, and they did their damage on the power play. But I, I didn't think that just because it was the Ottawa Senators that it was going to be easy for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think we saw that in the two games before COVID hit, the games in Ottawa, where Jimmy VC had to race to, you know, leave his car in the parking lot and all that. Uh, but, you know, the Sens... They were down in the third period in those games, and they battled back in both of them. And they've played reasonably well here. And yep. they've got a lot of young guys that just want to play hockey right now. Like, it's not, play, it's not playing out the string for them. Uh, it really nope. is just an opportunity to keep playing hockey 
So you know, I, I'm not shocked. And look, we well, both how how impressive was Drake Batherson last night? My goodness, yeah, he was excellent. No, there were a bunch. Of, you you're on Nick Paul. Although I saw Nick Paul didn't play the final ten minutes. Yeah, I think Nick Nick Paul took a puck in the face. No, oh, that's not good. No, no, no fun. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I, I jokingly refer to Nick Paul as my son, right? Like, Nick, you do, because, because I, because I, no one could possibly have a higher opinion of his game than his own father than I do. Like, I just, yeah, I, I love the, I love guys that just win battles and make zero mistakes. Like, that's my favorite type of player. Nick Paul's that type of player, but I really like Batherson's game. I really liked what I saw from Pinto and Norris and Formanton. Like, they've got. They've got a critical mass of of intriguing guys, and I know people get really hung up on the lack of a top end guy, like the lack of a Pedersen or a Hughes. But you know they're going to have another pick here, right? Like Stutzla is only what? I mean, how old is Stutzla? He's eighteen. He just still? turned nineteen. I think he just turned nineteen. Just just turned nineteen. So like you know those guys are going to have a shot at doing more. In the years ahead, like they may have, there may be an, a high end player on that lineup. I mean, Kachuk's 21, Batherson's 22, Pinto's 21, Norris is 20. Like, you know, they're, I mean, we'll see what these guys look like in a year or two, but it's not outrageous to think that they could become high end players. Um, they're also going to have a really good draft pick here, J Pat. Like, yeah. they're going to keep adding. Yeah. So, you know, and and they have what? I think they have um, nine picks in the first three rounds over the next two years, right? Like they have virtually unlimited cap space. And granted, I don't know that we expect their ownership group to spend, but they have virtually unlimited draft picks, unlimited draft pick artillery. Like there's going to be changes in Ottawa in the next two years. Uh, uh, positionally speaking, like I still probably favor Vancouver's rebuild, but it's not it's not by a lot. And that could change in a hurry, if especially if the Senators open up the faucets and spend a bit, or, or sold the team to an owner we were more confident would do so. Well, you know, it's going to be funny to chart this conversation over the next week, because they play three more times. Like, if the Sens' yeah. young players rise up and they find a way to beat the Canucks a bunch of times, you know, I, I think that strengthens that argument, like... You know who's rebuild like that's a, a definitely. We used to have that conversation about like Edmonton and Colorado and like who had the better young core and uh, yeah, you know that, not a, not a lot of not a lot of um, suspense there anymore. Huh? No, no, there's not. <laughs> My goodness! But it'll be interesting just to sort of see how this little mini series within the season. You know, Canucks had won the first five and it looked like a runaway, but uh, here's Ottawa with a chance. And if Ottawa beats the Canucks on Saturday, you know, they tie them in the standings. Canucks will have seven games in hand, but just optically for the Sens, there's probably some value in thinking, like, for a night, we're not going to spend, you know, the entire season in dead last in the division. Like, we caught somebody. It took a pandemic to wipe them out entirely, but Ottawa has a chance to match the Canucks in points at the very least uh, with another win on Saturday. So we'll see how it goes. We'll be here to continue to monitor it. They've got that weird Wednesday afternoon game, 2.30 Pacific time uh, next week, which is a little strange, but uh, hey, why not? Some afternoon hockey. It's not like uh, people have a whole lot else going on in their lives. So uh, I just make note of that. And then it's into Toronto, uh, two in Ottawa, two in Toronto after the game on Saturday at Rogers Arena. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode. We love the feedback. So you'll find the 
Comment section at the Athletic app, rate and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Vancast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Canucks and Sens right back at it again Saturday night at Rogers Arena. And we will start the week uh, with you. Monday's a game day, but uh, it's a busy week, so uh, I think we'll drop a, a new game day pod on Monday and take it from there. So, Tom, have yourself a great weekend. We say the same you to too, buddy. all of our VIPs. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.